Welcome to today's podcast. My name is Colin Esler, and I'm delighted to be here today with uh, Tadeo Gasparetto. Hello, everyone. And with uh, Carlos Gomez. Hola, 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 hola. Tadeo, could you uh, be so kind and tell the listeners what today's episode is about? Well, today's episode is about a paper called Opportunity and Equality in the Emerging Esports Labor Market. Could you, Cornel, tell the names of the authors? Because I'm pretty sure that they pronounced it wrongly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to do my best. So we have well played, well played. <laughs> Yeah. Christopher McLeod, let's say. And then no idea. Uh, Han Hang Su. Sorry if I mispronounced. And Joshua Newman. The last one was easy, but the first two ones I'm really not sure about. But <laughs> Thank you, Tadeo. So, what's the paper about? Well, in a nutshell, as the title says, they are trying to analyze this inequality in the esports. So, they are discussing that nowadays a lot of people are saying that esports is a growth industry, fast growth industry, and there's a lot of money involved, and a lot of young people want to enter and be professional players. And they try to argument saying that this is not totally true. So in this sense, it's a very interesting narrative that they provide in this paper. Yeah, I completely agree. And when I read the introduction, I was really amazed by the example they gave. So they cite here the Fortnite World Cup finals. And they say that as a top price, players got $34 million. And I was really amazed when I read that because this is something that normally you think that you have such a high price for another industry, you know, like maybe if you win the Grand Slam in tennis or for the NBA finals. So here was really amazed that in esports, yep, you get a lot of money. And then what they say is that, hey, what? Just suppose that this money is really unfairly distributed. And they make an example here. And this example sounded to me, honestly, really similar to tennis. So you have the few top players who earn a lot of money, but then the majority of players, they don't earn anything or at least not enough to really survive. And then... They actually treat here... Sorry, Cornel. I wanted to say they actually treat esports here as growing industry and they try to give us a full picture about it. And when you see the pictures on TV, the, the videos with the stadiums full of people and you see the number of followers that they have, you start to understand that this is an industry that must be taken seriously and that we should focus also on. So this is also a very nice contribution of these papers. So it helps me thinking about this industry like what it is, a huge, uh, a huge growing industry. No, I think that's right. I'm not a real esports player. I, you know, I played some games during my youth, but since then I haven't really played and I've never really been competitive. What I think is nice, what they do in their paper as well, is they give a very thorough explanation why inequality in general is a bad thing. So they cite the book from Piketty and, you know, if you want to focus on inequality, that's a thing to do. And then they say why in sports as well, this is a problem. And you don't only want to have inequality within one group, so suppose large inequality for male players, but they want to look in between inequalities, so between female and male players. But Carlos, I have a feeling regarding the esports industry and the 
literature, you know a lot more about that than I do. So what do you think? Yes, I think I will uh, talk a little bit here about how they frame the this research paper and the ideas that they touch a little bit. I don't have time to go through everything, but I have to say that the theoretical section, I really enjoyed reading it a lot. Now I will only give uh, no, my views on it, but I really enjoy reading about it. First, they talk a little bit about e-sports in general, and they talk about the commercial and the professional impact of this activity. And I found one point really interesting. And in e-sports, video games, developers and publishers, for example, uh, activists and Blizzard, they play a major role because on the one hand, they have the intellectual property rights of the games. And at the same time, they also organize the tournaments and so on. So they play a huge role. And then the authors explain a little bit how this can impact inequality among the players. And it was really cool to read about it. The authors actually mentioned a key issue, and is that in esports, the players, both consumers and the source of labor. So this is also an industry that is a little bit special in this sense. And I liked quite a lot that the authors explained this in detail. And then, yes, they want to focus on these players that do not wish to become professionals and they want to, to know a little bit more about inequality. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned these differences between the industries because when I thought about esports and here the examples they give, I thought a little bit about football as well. You know, and in football, you can still play football. You know, you can go out on the street and play football, but you don't have to be a consumer, you know. And this is what I really liked about the explanation. So here, I completely agree with you. That, for me, that was novel as well. This was a really, really good point because for these big enterprises, the players are both at the consumers and the source of labor. So that was really nice. And then they also have some some of theory and on inequality. They touch different points on general inequality across the world in the occupations. But for these specific examples, for esports, they focus on something that they call within occupation inequality. And they have two very interesting concepts here and definitions. And this is basically that within the same field, so for the players, you have a huge difference between them. You have professional players who really earn a lot, and then you have some other players that do not earn as much. And then they call this aspirational labor and hope labor. And probably we can touch a little bit more on this later. But this is really interesting. What this is actually is players that play for little money or for no money, hoping that one day they will become professional players and then they will move up to the higher end of the income distribution. And usually research overlooks these people also in other sports. So we don't pay enough attention to the people that play all the time, sometimes for fun, sometimes trying to get a professional career. And they put the focus on this inequality in this paper. And this is something that I really enjoy. And also they want to look with a little bit more detail on uh, to gender inequalities. They also compare female and male players in this context. And uh, yeah, this is uh, how they wrap up the, the theoretical section. But then also the quick question, because this is a very cool research question, but it's also very complex. How do they actually do it? How do they measure inequality among all these players? So they had a huge amount of data. And the main thing, the main variable is price income. So this is the money that the players get after they play for the tournaments if they do well. So if they win the tournament or if they get in a good position, then they get this money. This is similar to tennis or to other sports 
that we know, and they create three databases. So first, they have what they call professional. This is the yearly income of players in all video games. They start back in 2005, and the database includes players up to 2019. So in total, it's almost close to 20,000 players year income. This is a lot. And to complement this, because this is probably a little bit tricky as well. So they focus on players that earn more than $3,000 a month. So this sample is restricted to this. They don't have all players. They only have players that earn above $3,000 uh, a month. They have some reasons to do it. They explain very well with softball and baseball and why they do it. But to complement this on a way, they also include another database where they focus on the top five games. Here for the video game lovers, they have the names. Uh, I only knew three of them. So Dota 2, Counter-Strike, Fortnite, League of Legends, and StarCraft 2. So these authors also include these five games in a different database to complement the results. And then at the end, they have also the female players for this same period of time from 2005 to 2019. And they include almost 1,000 female players and how much money they make um, in a year playing video games. And this is basically the huge amount of data that they have. How do they analyze the data is the next question. The, the analysis, I would say, is uh, descriptive in nature. They're not really interested in understanding a lot, but they want to show a picture of what it is. No, I just wanted to make a small comment related to the labor market issue is that the esports is a very particular case that men and women are playing together in the same discipline. So, for example, when you compare tennis, it's like, okay, it's the same sport, but it's women playing against women and men playing against men. In the case of esports, they are playing together the same disciplines. And this is very cool for labor market studies. It's a super setting to understand these things, isn't it? I think it's lovely esports, and I won't be surprised if we have more and more papers coming up in this setting. Always simply, the way they do it, so they try to analyze inequality among these players, and they use two well-known methods in the literature to do it. So they rely on Lorentz curves and Gini coefficients to somehow measure the dispersion of the income among all these players. So, Tadeo, what do they actually find? Can you tell us a little bit about the results? Yeah, well... Let's, how can I say? First of all, I really like that they are very honest, saying that we are not trying to get any causal effect. Because as you mentioned, they say that this is descriptive analysis. They just took this overview of the industry and made these comparisons over the time. So this was very nice and honest from them. So as they have three research questions, they had three main findings. And the first result is something that we see through newspapers, through, through TV, is that, yeah, the market is growing fast, however, the inequality is also growing. So in this case, it's like they try to find the inequality and they did find it because it's like the top players are earning more and more and more while those bottom part of the industry are not making the same amount of money. Sorry for my English. You know that I make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> so this was the main I one. Like it. <laughs> but I mean, it was also interesting that they provide some graphics in this curve, Lawrence, that they show that year by year that in the early beginning was like fluctuating. So it was not very stable, it was some years fine, some years bad. But later on, this inequality increased 
and recently this level of inequality remain more or less stable. So in the sense, the industry nowadays is very unequal. So top guys or girls are earning a lot while others are making very few amount of money. The second research question was about this within industry as well. They were using kind of median earnings and what they realized is that despite of this growth in amount, in amount of money over the time, the median hasn't changed very much. So in this sense, it's like on average in the total, people are making more or less the same money. So who is really benefiting from the industry are just the top players. It is like the real world, isn't it? The richer exactly. I get in richer. So. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> it, it's interesting to see that these portals just maybe reflecting other activities is not really too particular as we do believe. And yeah, do you want to add something, Porno, in this point? In this point, I think it's really interesting that we see such a huge difference between the earnings. And for me, that was really interesting that they mentioned it later on as well in their limitations and future research, because I thought, okay, we see this huge difference in those earnings, but maybe they depend on where you live. And this is what I think was really great in their analysis and in their research as well. They really clearly mention this as a shortcoming that they say, you know what, we do not have nationality. And you know, even though there is some differences or there are some differences in the allocation, they might depend on the nationality. Carlos, what do you say? Yes. What do you think? Actually, I have uh, also a point I wanted to make in, in this contest. And they also explain at the end of the paper, because of this threshold, you know, that they use, they only focus on the players that uh, get more than 3,000 a year, not a month. Sorry, people, I made the mistake before. <laughs> That's okay. will happen. It will happen a lot, get used to it. So the authors, actually, what they do, they focus on players that earn more than $3,000 a year. This actually excludes many people, many of these aspirational players that we mentioned at the beginning, that they are also playing, try to one day become uh, professionals, but they don't even make this. So the authors actually claim that because they are uh, omitting all these people, inequality might be even bigger than what they observe here. So that is also uh, something to have into account, that it could be even more unequal. Yeah, definitely. No, thank you for adding these points. And the third result that they got then is talking about this gender inequality. So what they could figure out was that the gender inequality is also growing over the time. So, I mean, the percentage change is likely. So they say that when they compare the total earnings of women in sport and the total earnings of men in sport. They were saying that many years ago, women were representing about 2% of the total price, and nowadays is about 1%. So it's decreased more than a half. So it's significant. But, I mean, it's something that they didn't comment very much that is a kind of narrative that I guess I would create analyzing this data is that when you take a look in one of the tables, they see that a lot of women start to play more and more the game. So even that the share nowadays is smaller than one in the past, we have a lot of more girls in these top professional players, in those that are earning more than $3,000 a year, that I see is in a positive sign. So despite of this inequality that is growing over the time, that's definitely bad. I guess we can see something good through these explanatory results that they provide 
in their paper. So in general, it's like there are a lot of things to do. They comment that they didn't try to explain, they didn't try to find any kind of causal effect. They mentioned the limitation that some kind of regression analysis would be good to keep researching in this area. But the narrative that they create that, yeah, don't create high expectations to be a professional sport players because it's really, really hard. It's really, really an eco and unbalanced market. So this narrative is important talking about the whole industry and also about this gender difference as they wrote very well. And it applies, it applies, to, many, it applies to many other uh, things, not only e-sports. We see a lot of this digital content now. A lot of people trying to create content in YouTube, in tweets, and it is really difficult to make money out of this. We only see the successful stories, but I think it's important that research also digs a little bit more into this settings to find out how many people are actually participated and how difficult it might be to get. So that may take away message from this paper as well. I think what you said completely underlines what the researchers stated in their paper as well. Let me cite two sentences that I wrote on page five. Esports competitors work long hours with training lasting 10 to 17 hours a day. Intense competition for team positions and tournament earnings has led to job instability and short careers with many players retiring by their mid-20s. So I think this complements what you said, Carlos, and what Tadeo says as well. And I think this is really interesting that they mentioned it in their paper. So it is an unequal industry, but the people who really make it to the short to the top, it's only a really small percentage. And in general, I think that they did a fantastic job, the authors. We really enjoyed reading this paper. And it was super interesting. And I hope that we can present a similar nice paper for our podcast next week as well. Thank you yes, all for, very much for listening. For everyone um, also, uh, you have the link to the paper in the description. Click on it, read about it, and uh, we are happy to discuss it uh, with you next time as well. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you, Cornell. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you all.